0: Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect
1: listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman
0: welcome back to the meant to be outdoors podcast i'm your host brian with my co-host ben brandell and today we are talking about wild turkeys and why they need our help you know last week we got to share all the good stuff turkey mm-hmm. hunting turkey season just ended we shared our, some really fun stories and experiences we had recently reminisced a little bit uh, but this week's a little bit more serious but i think it's something that needs to be said People need to be educated on the reality of what is happening with the wild turkey across our nation. So this week we are talking about the wild turkey and the help that we need to provide them. But before we get started, we need to give
1: thanks. I am thankful for wildlife. I'm thankful for really the organizations that have banned enough people together to not only protect a lot of these animals, but to bring animals back from oh, you know, low numbers to where we could hunt them today. And I'm so thankful that growing up as a kid, I've had the opportunities to hunt deer, to hunt turkey, and I truly hope that my kids have the same opportunities. I'm thankful for the
0: conservationists of the past. Many decades ago, the wild turkeys were really struggling immensely more than they are now. And Conservationists then, they, they took this into their hands and did reintroduction projects and and put great conservation efforts into place so that we can experience the turkey populations that we have now, the turkey populations that we had been when you and I were children. Mm-hmm. You know, I've counted times in my life, 200 turkeys in, in a single flock. That wasn't a thing, you know even really in like our our grandparents' lifetime or, or when our parents were young, so that we're even having this conversation about help that needs to be provided to them is because of all the work from past conservationists. And I'm thankful for the groundwork that they laid for us.
1: Yeah, and I want to clarify the difference between conservation and preservation because growing up, I didn't know what that meant. In podcasts in the past, we've actually really went into depth in all of those. But I just want to remind anyone listening that when we talk about conservationists, Conservation is, by definition, wise use. We are actually using it. Preservation is no use. No longer can we. And so could there be a time that we live where things are off limits and it's, they're preserving it and we, we can't hunt for it anymore or we can't use it anymore? Absolutely. And I don't want it to get there. I love conservation because it's wise use. We get to use it, but we're going to do it wisely. And that's what I hope that we can really encourage and, and educate on today.
0: You know, I, I want to bring you like why we're really talking about this. This actually came up. Uh, we thought of this topic to address it's not novel. other people are right. talking about it. There's articles, there's other podcasts, you know, well, uh, and hallelujah, thankfully yes, they are like yeah, there's an awareness that's the awareness place. is growing. Yes. the awareness is growing. We want to be part of, of the growing awareness. Uh, but while we were turkey hunting, really we were talking about what it used to be like. What it used to be like, what hunts we had experienced, you know,
1: 20 years ago. Last episode we shared that we saw we saw and talked to five toms, yeah. so five big turkeys. That is a blessing in its own self. Like we had the opportunity. I have been to places. I have been hunting before, and I never heard or saw a turkey. Right. Right. But something was different something was different about this hunt we started really digging into like what is changing why is it different and that's really what we want to address is this awareness that is taking place
0: right and it it's not just where we hunt really it's it's across the nation Mm -hmm. it's it's the same things causing it the same solutions are going to be the things to rectify it So we want to really talk about all of those and there are statistics out there to, to show and support what we're talking about. And, and some of them that I really want to share, we'll, we'll start close to home. In Missouri, we live in southern Missouri, the last 10 years, the wild turkey population has decreased by 30%. So do we still have a lot of turkeys? Well, yes, we do. We're still harvesting, you know, over 40,000 turkeys through our, our turkey season, which is a great number. Mm-hmm. It's actually up. The harvest is actually up a little bit, even though the numbers continue to go down, which we can kind of get into later when we start talking about what are some things that we can do to, to help address this situation. So 2023 was a high harvest. Do yeah, twenty twenty, oh, and, and it is going to fluctuate. There's so many variables Um Weather is a, is a huge thing. It depends on harvest, where it, where it falls in the weeks uh, d- for their breeding season. It has, a, it has a big dependency on that as well. But the reality is there, there's been a pretty huge reduction. 30% over 10 years is pretty significant um, when you're talking about millions of, of birds, hundreds of thousands of birds. That is a large number to lose. Another state to really point out is Mississippi. You know, in the late 1980s, their population was estimated 410,000, and today they're estimating 270,000. So hundreds wow. of thousands, wow. hundreds of thousands down. But one I really, really want to point out, as I mentioned, you know, some of these states are showing higher harvests like Missouri did this year, is the poults per hen. So a poult is a young turkey. After it hatches, it's known as a poult, and the hens are the moms that lay the eggs and, and hatch them out and take care of them. And there has been an ongoing study from 1983 to 2021, statewide productivity estimates. Basically, they want to know how many turkeys are being put back into the population each year. The number of poults per hen in the 80s, the mid-80s, was a little bit over 7. So Mm. for every hen, there was a few more than seven poults being put back in, which is really good. You feel comfortable there. Like, you know what? Yeah, let's let everybody go out and harvest a couple turkeys every year. Anybody that wants to hunt, no big deal because we're getting a lot put back in. That has shown a steady decline all the way till 2021 where it's just barely above two. Just barely above two. And really only 20 to 25% of nests even actually hatch. Mm -hmm. So most of that averages, it's kind of deceiving because you're going to have some hens that will have, you know, seven to 12 successful poults that that hatch. And then you're going to have a large number, we'll say 75% of nests that never ever even hatch an egg. And that is quite alarming. If we are still harvesting the same number, we still have the same bag limits as we did 20 years ago, but now only two poults per hen. Right. That doesn't seem to add up
1: for good math. You know, and that actually kind of answers really the the story that you and I were re- to really thinking about growing up. Like when you and I were growing up, we had men take us out to teach us how to how to do this. Mm-hmm. And one man that really, well, my uncle, he took me out, introduced this to me, and I remember like it was yesterday. He would he would usually say to me, "You know what, Ben? We're gonna." We're going to kill one. We're going to yeah. kill a bird.
0: We're well, going to get a bird. Our our biggest conversation that really got us going on to this topic was surrounding Jakes. And Jakes yeah. are, as we said in the last episode, juvenile males. So it's like they were the males that were hatched last year. They have short little beards. They're not full. They're bigger than the hens, but not as big as a mature tom.
1: Um, and they're kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. They're I really mean, easy to call in. Right. And, you know, his point was we are going to kill a bird today. And. And that excited me because that gave me encouragement of like, all right, let's go out and go. But he said, you know, our goal today is to kill a Tom. Mm-hmm. We want to kill a Tom. And, and then I got excited too. Cause I realized there are our Toms that have huge beards and they're dragging the ground and they're big bodied, you know, and, and that was the goal. But he was making the point that in the event that we can't find a Tom or he's too hard to call in, we can kill a Jake. We can harvest a Jake.
0: Almost like it was a guarantee Ben, like, Every time you went out turkey hunting, we'll say nine times out of ten, you were going to call a jake in, and it was almost laughable to serious turkey
1: hunters. Like, yeah. oh, you shot a jake. Oh, yeah. okay,
0: big deal, you know.
1: Well, I mean, for for the kid at the time, like any kids, it was like it was okay for, to kill a jake, but adults, the the big tough men, were like, no, we can't kill jakes. So Only right. toms. The point of the story that I was trying to share is, my uncle made it seem like it was going to be easy because they were. So many options, so many birds that we were going to see that day. Right. And we did. We actually harvested, I, I harvested several jakes as, yeah. in the youth. Um, and then maybe even a couple of when I was an adult too, I, had, <laughs> I have to admit. I've, I've killed a few. The whole point of,
0: of saying that, what we were talking about out there while we were hunting was, we didn't see any jakes. We didn't hear any jakes gobbling. The last several years we haven't seen any jakes or heard any jakes. Right. And I was telling you, you know, when when we were kids, my buddies and I, we would we would go around and say, "Let's go callin' callin' some jakes and and mess with them." Not even during turkey season. Like, let's go throw rocks or shoot fake arrows at them. Like it was just a foregone conclusion. You could go out and do this, and now you hardly ever see them. So, if if we're out trying to harvest three, four, five year old mature toms, mm-hmm. but there's no year olds that are going to be recruiting back into those those breeding classes. Obviously, the age structure is off and the populations are out of stress. And that's why we really want to talk about this, because something has to be done. Something caused the problem. And for all problems, there is a solution. So we want to talk about some of those problems and then propose some of the solutions and how we can all be a part of that.
1: You know, we even got to, to talking through, like, there are five toms on this property that we were talking to. And our season, our regulation is we're allowed... After the second week, to harvest two turkey, so each of us we could yeah we could have harvested a total of four, and that left one on the property. Well, yeah, not each of us. You could have killed two, I could have killed correct. two. We could have got four as a, together. Yeah, yes. correct. Yeah. And that would have left that one on the property. And I don't know what kind of impact that had. That I feel like it had been negative.
0: Right. Yeah. And especially there, there's whole other things that take into consideration that aren't fully understood in the biology world, but they are studying now, like. The way turkeys breed, it's, it's a lek mating system, so it's basically a hierarchy, and you you have a dominant tom, so what happens if the very first day of season, it's the beginning of, of that mating season, and you kill that dominant tom? Does that mess up the... Because they are going to breed more of the hens than the rest of the non-dominant ones, or does one swoop in and fill that spot, and, and breeding doesn't take a hit? What they are finding, what they are hypothesizing, is that it does have an effect, that mm. they're there is not a great as great of a reproduction rate when we take out the dominant tom early in the season. So could there be some people pushing for later seasons? Yeah. And we have seen states. Um, I feel like Missouri when I was a kid was maybe a week or two earlier than it is now. Every year I feel like, man, it's just yeah. a little bit later. But
1: It does. And, it, and a reminder, our season is three weeks long. So yeah. each state could be different. I don't know. Every state's going to have their, their own weeks to hunt and how many you can harvest. But... Currently, right now, we have three weeks of hunting season, and within that three weeks, you can harvest two birds. You cannot harvest two birds your first week, though. So Mm -hmm. you see that there are some regulations in place to try to protect these bird species, but it isn't working.
0: Yeah, and there's just so much I remember from 10, 15, 20 years ago of being out hunting in the fall. And see, the wild turkeys, they flock up in the fall because it's not their breeding season. And like I said before, I have counted over 200 turkeys in, in a single flock. And I used to hear people talking about flocks of 50 and flocks of 60. Oh, yeah, they come through every single night. And every time I was hunting, every, every fall while I was deer hunting, listening. I used to love listening and learning from the hens because they do so much calling in the fall. And listening to them fly up and just having these encounters. And I'm going to tell you today, that's few and far between for me when I'm deer hunting in the fall. There are properties that I used to go to and turkey hunt when I was a kid, I'll say a teenager, that no longer have turkeys on them. None. You you don't go there to turkey hunt because there are no turkeys, and I used to kill turkeys there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is how much it is changing, as there are places that used to have them that just don't anymore.
1: You know, while you and I are traveling, we do see turkeys in the pastures along the main roads, though. So I will say that we have seen turkeys yeah. this year um, on other properties while traveling. Um, so it isn't like you look out and you're like, oh, where where are all the turkeys? You know, it, they're it isn't... not gone. Right. Right. But what we're saying is that while hunting, we're realizing that we're not encountering the amount of jakes that we used to. Even seeing the turkeys out in full strut off of the highway, mm-hmm. you don't see the hen numbers. You don't see the amount maybe that you would have seen in the past that were out in the pastures feeding and and going through the the right. mating ritual you know
0: and then you go look and, and see what other hunters are saying uh, across our nation and they're saying the same things we're saying so yeah. obviously there is an issue it is not just a made up thing and then you've got tons of money being poured into the research studying it, and and the the tests are showing the research is showing yeah there there's something going on here then of course what's what is the solution so Some states are are starting to change things. So really the next question is what can be done? And I think really um, states as as government entities controlling hunting seasons, really that's their only thing that that they can control, the only thing that they can do. So what are
1: some things that some of these states are doing, Ben? Um, Some of these states are eliminating, sadly, seasons. Yeah. So if you don't know, in the spring there's a season to hunt turkeys. And then in the fall, there's another season. So that's two seasons within one year. Um, you know, the fall season is a little more difficult because you don't have that, that fun interaction where you're getting to call, locate, and then find the find the bird or allow that bird to come in as you're calling and talking to yeah, it. You maybe know? not necessarily difficult, but not near as fun. Definitely well, not yeah. Fun. yeah. I, I feel like you have to roost. But anyway... Um, There are states that are beginning to remove or eliminate the fall season.
0: There are, yeah. Kansas was the one that that was most recent. They just came out. Uh, Their two big announcements were, no more fall season. It's done. Right. Uh, If you like to fall turkey hunt, there's a lot of people that like to uh, add the challenge of archery to fall turkey hunting. Uh, no, No more for you. You don't get to do that anymore. And they also announced that in 2024, their bag limit for the spring will be one. And they'll only be able to kill one bird. And they're joining neighboring states like Oklahoma and Nebraska in this. So now you've got three states that are known for huge turkey populations. Great turkey hunting states. Uh, I've been to, well, at least two of them. I can't remember. Maybe even all three of them. And and turkey hunted before. And it's awesome. It's fun. And they've got, uh, those are some of the states that you start to intertwine some of the species and get these hybrids. But now it's all bad news because yeah. we're having to, to damper that down and, and, and start to take control of what's happening. So kudos to those states for for realizing that it's happening and doing that. Hopefully that will awaken some of the sportsmen and conservation-minded people to start taking some steps as
1: well. And, it, you know, two two points that I want to make off of that. One is I learned something new. <laughs> I did not know that Alaska didn't have any turkeys. Yeah, I didn't know that. But— Every other state does, and so you see that at least three to four states are starting to, to do this. Other states are going to have to wake up or yeah. are going to have to follow.
0: Those are um, just your more recent ones. It, it yeah. really started out east. I mean, there there are states out east that uh, in the past you could harvest as many as five turkeys if that tells you how great how the populations was. were. Right. And now they've reduced that down to two and three. Um, so that trend is moving west
1: as the populations you know, start to decline. This, the second thing on this is, you know, we are talking about hunters. We're talking about conservation. Um Hunters are conservationists, been? They are. They are. <laughs> but also, this impacts farmers as well. And farmers is another group of individuals. They may not hunt. They may be hunters. But if you know a farmer or you are a farmer, please take heed and start listening to this because we need your help too. This isn't just for the men and women that like to hunt or for our government.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll try to give that a, a heartfelt address here and as, as we get to our our next section because that's a tough one that's probably yeah. the the toughest uh, the toughest. Well, self. you're
1: talking about waking hunters up, and we need to. Yeah, and they are. Yeah. They're, they're they are awaking. That is why you're starting to hear more and more people talk. Um,
0: but it's not just them, is what you're saying. Yes, it's, it's not. It, right. I'm yes. with
1: you there. Yep. You know, I talked about re- reducing
0: the bag limits, but length of seasons is something that I think could definitely be addressed. Like, you mentioned three weeks here in Missouri. Why not take that down to two? Like, even if you want to leave the bag limit at two, go ahead, but maybe take the opportunity for hunters to to reduce that down. People, uh, states could start sliding seasons, sliding, keeping the same length, but sliding that out towards the end of breeding season. Um, maybe giving the, the hunter just a little more of a disadvantage. So maybe there's... 5,000 less turkeys harvested. Who, who knows the impacts that that would could have, but if we don't start taking some of those steps, we definitely will never know. Um, what about education, Ben? Do you, think, do you think that education could be one of the possible solutions to this problem? Do you think it is that people just don't know, one, that it's happening, and two, what can be done to fix it? I guess why it's happening, too, if they believe that it is. Yeah, I mean why for, should be answered.
1: You know, education in itself to me is is more of just sharing the awareness. That's almost all the education that we need. And why I say that is because you can tell people why. You can tell people how. At the end of the day, to me, it comes back to are they going to put the work in? Mm. It. I'm not talking about laziness, but I'm saying this is going to take work. Are these people, are these men and women ready to do the work that it – that a, Probably will take to bring these birds back.
0: Right. And the conclusion is kind of, the conclusion is coming to, and I am going to side with this. I'm going to say 100%. I'm not, I don't really believe in the people who say 110%. And I'm like, no, 100%, that's all you can give. So (laughs) I'm going to side with this conclusion 100% that the number one thing that can be done isn't changing seasons, it isn't reducing bag limits. The number one thing that can be done is habitat work. And I'm going to agree with that wholeheartedly. So I believe that education can play a big part in this because I do not believe that most landowners have an adequate understanding of what good native wildlife habitat is. And I don't want to blame them because I don't think it is their fault. And I want to explain that. Um, I'm going to do my best to explain that. Okay. So the question really is, what is normal? What is normal? And you and I have messed around with people in the past, got under their skin by asking this question. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael T. Rose, I love you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry for messing with you. But what is normal? And, and w- getting somebody's answer of that is is always different. But the true answer is is what people know, what's accepted, what is cultural at that time. And why I'm bringing that up is what is normal now was not normal in the 70s and 80s when turkey populations were doing the skyrocket going to where states could kill five of them as because all of the invasive species and monocultures of these invasive species that we have now that is what and i'm talking about plants now fescue grasses and cedar trees and, and all of these things across the midwest and southeast that is just it's everywhere it's normal it is what our generations know now from our parents to us to our kids that's all we've ever really seen. We didn't see all the flourishing native species and, and the huge uh, turkey poult hatches that were using these and the way they were using them intermixed with the quail and the pheasants because now we don't even have the, fe- the quail and the pheasants and we don't have as many turkeys either. So broken, invasive has become normal. So if that's all you know and you've never seen before and how much better it could have been... That's where I think people need to be educated of, hey, no, look, there is a better way. It used to be better, and this is what it looked like when it was.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, though, now they're educated. You've just told them. So everyone listening, they now have the education. And the the thing is, though, is, is are you ready to go do the work? Right. Because our government, they educate. That's I feel like that's majority of what they do on almost all of these topics and, and everything, especially Missouri. Missouri does a great job of of sharing information. There is so many free resources, so many books, everything free that you can get and buy and read. However, what's next? Now that you have this information, what do you do with it? And and that's where I'm at. Like we'll get into this, but my point is is that we are gonna have to physically do our part, I think, to make an impact, to make a change.
0: Right. And and so my part right now is I want to explain as a wildlife biologist, what good turkey habitat is. Most properties that I go on here locally, um, they're not. They're not good turkey habitat. We go to state properties and and private properties to work on and teach programs, and most of them are the same. They are low-disturbance properties. And what I mean is there has been no fire, no tornado, no big natural disturbance come through them in decades so what you have is these big closed canopy high stem density forests with no understory I'm talking you can walk a hundred yards in a a huge timber stand forest
1: and I can still see and wave at you well yeah you 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 always say like I can throw a tennis ball and still see where it lands yeah like you use that example a lot yeah there are I'll say,
0: well, I could throw a tennis ball up and hit it as far as I possibly could. And when it landed up out there in the forest, you could still see it. And you shouldn't be able to roll it five feet away from you and see it in a healthy wildlife habitat forest. And that's what we need to be moving towards. And what is beautiful about that is it doesn't take a lot of money to do that. It just takes the blood, sweat, and tears that Ben's talking about. Yes. and. I mean, really just with with a hatchet and some herbicide, you can go start to have an awesome, awesome impact because it's all about disturbance and getting sunlight down to that floor of the forest so that plants can grow. And I want to talk about why that is so important for turkeys. If you ever want to... So what we're going to be talking about here is called brood or brooding habitat. And so brooding is really raising those poults as soon as they hatch the whole process that is a brood and and brooding them up until they are mature can go out on their own they're what four five six inches tall so their life is down there so if you want to know a poults world a turkey poults world lay down lay down on your stomach and look up in a field or in a forest if you can lay down in your timber stand, in your forest, in in the private forest or in the public forest, wherever you go out and recreate, if you can lay down and you can see ahead of you four, five, six feet, that is not good brooding habitat. There needs to be things at their level that they can walk through, but still find cover. It needs to be thick enough to encourage insects so they can eat insects and reach seeds. So right. we're talking about short plants. They need insects and seeds to eat, but they also need places to hide.
1: What about before hatching though? The hen making the nest, that's what the, the yeah, actual nest, nest.
0: Nesting habitat is very similar to brooding habitat. Mm. They need places where one, they can look out and and see predators coming, but there's enough cover for them to hide. So if there's nothing for them to get up against, there's no the logs or stumps with some the thing about hens nesting is when they go to nest it's it's a lot of times earlier in the season there's not this full growth left so you need this really good fall habitat left over it's not the new growing season yet you don't have all the green growth grown up by the time the poults start to hatch you do have more of that green growth for for brooding habitat that's why fires are so important because you get all those forbs to stimulate the small green plants growing but the hens need, you know, old dead grasses and, and stumps and, and hinge cut trees and, and things they can get in and hide and disguise themselves from predators rather than just laying out in the wide open where a coyote can see them from 100 yards. They need to be able to conceal. But once, once these hatchlings come out and, and you need brood habitat, you want to think of it like um, almost like a playground. You know, if you take your kids to the playground, there's equipment all around. The equipment is not so packed together that they can't run between it and get to other places but if they were hiding from their friend and they're running around the playground they could jump and hide behind a piece of equipment that is what it needs to be like for a turkey pole but at that size so we need to be stimulating that fire is an amazing way if your timber stand is too dense start going through and cutting out hickories and maples and some of these low quality wildlife trees and opening up the canopy where all the trees and leaves come up and block out the sunlight you need to open that up so that the sunlight can get down to the forest floor and grow and stimulate these plant seeds that are there so that these turkeys have a place that they're supposed to live. They need food and they need places to hide.
1: So fire, should fire take place before hens go to their nests? Is that, or is fire impacting some of these hens nests because people are burning at the wrong time?
0: Yeah, no, most of the time that you can burn is going to be an okay time to burn, which is going to be that real hot uh, what you call a growing season burn, like in August when things get uh, dry and the humidity drops, or you have dormant season burns before hens go to the nest, like in January and February here for us, where things are dormant and dry and you can burn. Both of those are great. Both are great because what also can happen for bad turkey habitat is the forest floor can be too thick. Mm. If things are too thick and they can't see and they can't get through, well, how would they ever run away? There's like this balance of cover, but not too much. If things are just thick and and ate up with invasive honeysuckle bushes, then it's not great turkey habitat either. And that's where I want to talk about fescue. So many people have fescue pastures. I have three acres back here. It's full of fescue. If you were to lay down in, you know, we'll say knee-high fescue and look forward, you can't see but five inches in front of your face. There's no alleyways for you to run your hand through. There's no places that quail or turkey poults can run and weave through these grasses. It's just like running into a a thick n- ratty nasty mess. They can't go anywhere. They're just gonna get stuck. And a poult that can't run away is just food for a predator. Mm. That's all. That's
1: that's all they are. So predators are playing a role. Well, now you're talking. Yeah. Now you're now you're starting to talk about things that I hear a lot. Yes. Um, you know. You have talked about habitat, 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 um, and I agree with that.
0: It has to start there. There's many things you can do, but it has to start with habitat if you want to have generational impact. Start with yeah. habitat. But a
1: few years ago, the the talk was is that the number one reason turkeys were declining was because of predator populations. So that's that's what I heard that over and over and over again.
0: I guess the question that you're really asking is there wrongly place blame for some of these declines.
1: Yeah, because you're just talking about invasive species. So that is a problem, but now we're getting into predators. Right. Are they a problem, and, and yeah. whose fault is it? And, I, and I'm going to take it even a little
0: further. It's more than just invasive species. It is poor habitat management. It is poor. And, and I think it really just comes from, like I said, it's the new normal. It's the new normal so people don't even really know it's poor. So don't blame yourself Educate yourself and improve. But as far as blame being misplaced, one place that people go to make a lot of blame, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, is the government. Well, why aren't they making the changes? Why aren't they changing the habitat? (laughs) The fact is that 99% of the uninhabited or undeveloped land in the United States is owned by... We the people. The we the people, the citizens. So if we really want to make habitat impacts and changes, we the people need to start making the changes. The government is doing what they can by starting to make regulation changes. There are also incentives out there, guys. If you Google habitat, um, share the work or share the cost programs and and then your state's name, there is stuff that's going to come up. There are government assistant programs out there for you to do habitat work on your property. I promise you, you may have to do some silly paperwork to get it done, but there are government programs to help you help you make this better. There's yeah, a solution I'm there. so
1: glad they, that there are. Let that be an incentive to to get people to want to go do it and to do it. It goes back to you have to do the work. You know, mm-hmm. I know education is important. Brian loves education. I mean, that's, that's actually what we do for a living. We educate, educate, educate. You will have to take a next step and go do the work. You know, the Bible tells us that God gave us dominion over all of this. He gave us the dominion. That alone is education. Now, I've just educated you, but what's the next step? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now you have to do the work. And so what are we talking about work here? Because you're talking about habitat, 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 and now we're talking about predators. Yeah, predators get a lot of the
0: blame, which it's easy to because you see them, you hear them, they're out there.
1: I do feel I see more predators than I have when I was Predator numbers
0: have increased. So when I'm talking about habitat, Bad turkey and deer and quail habitat is good predator habitat. Does that make sense? So if we flip that and make good turkey and deer habitat, now we have not great predator habitat. So your habitat work is going to be your first change in flipping that. But so many people want to go straight to kill them all. Yeah, let's wipe them out. Let's hunt, let's trap, yeah. let's kill them all. Trapping will have a positive impact on the amount of trapping will reduce the amount of turkeys and poults and eggs that get killed. However, it's still not going to really increase the amount of turkeys, uh, that are re- recruited back to your flocks because you still don't have a good place for them to nest. You still don't have a good place for your, your poults. You still don't have food for your poults. You still don't have places for them to hide. So, You're you're really not going to gain a whole lot. I am all for trapping and I'm all for predator control. I have done it. I have no problem with it. I actually think it's really fun and it is a wildlife management tool. However, getting these tools in the right order is so important and habitat work has to come before predator control. Get your habitat in order, then start controlling those predators and you're you're really, really, really going to see some change then.
1: You know, define for us real quick what landowners that you're talking to because if you own half you an acre you don't even you have, have to be a landowner ben. but well if you own half an acre and you have a fence in your backyard yeah. uh, uh is there even anything you can do to yours is that even they don't, they don't even see turkey in their backyards versus you've got three acres could you see turkey maybe but you're not really in a wooded area where you're probably going to find enough habitat for turkeys to live so yes. who are you talking to here and and what can they do I am talking to everyone. I'm talking to everyone. Whether
0: you own the half acre, whether you don't own any land and you know someone who does, whether you own 10,000 acres, I am talking to you. If you are listening to this, thank you, (laughs) and I'm talking to you. And let me explain that because you're probably going, well, how? if I have the half acre, how in the heck does that impact a turkey population? And uh, it's really pretty simple. If you have the half acre, And there's somebody that lives behind you. They have their half acre. There's a fence in between you. You guys both mow all the way up to it. Well, what lives underneath the fence? Nothing, because you mowed all the way up to it. If you each left one, let's say you've got a a 50-inch mower deck. You each left 50 inches on either side, and you let some wildflowers and some native grasses and some of these things grow up, and you just mowed it once a year. Guess what would happen around there? you'd have more rabbits. You'd have, you know, probably some more mice, but they're away from your house, so that's all good. Well, guess what eats mice and rabbits? The same predators that eat turkeys. So if a turkey is no longer predated on because it's eating the rabbits and the mice that are now growing in the habitat that you built, now that predator is not focused on a game species, it's focused on a prey species, and you've just impacted conservation and the wild turkey population in Missouri. Didn't think that was coming, did you? No, you definitely can have an impact. It, it, it starts, you have to think of it as a all wildlife or in a whole ecosystem and a whole food
1: web. So you absolutely can have an impact. Well, you, and, and yeah, and I want to talk, let's, let's get realistic here. When we're talking about fences, you know, we're talking about barbed wire fence. We're talking about a little bit of farmland. If you're living in a subdivision with a, a wooden fence, you know, here's what you can do. Make sure that, that non-native species. Let's say these invasive species yeah. aren't getting out of your yard. If you're planting winter creeper, um yeah, I, I, if
0: locust, honeysuckle, locust trees, honeysuckle, bush honeysuckle, pear trees, if you're planting all these things, one don't plant them. If you have to, don't let them get out of your yard. Right. I mean, pe- I've seen people with these bush honeysuckle bushes, they love them. They've got bees and honeybirds Climbing over their hummingbirds, excuse me, honeybirds. That's what my dad called them (laughs) when I was a kid. That's funny. Uh, You've got these bush, honeysuckle bushes, climbing over the top of people's fences out into the native landscape with, with really, again, they're not doing it on purpose. They just don't know the impact that they're having. But you cannot do some of those things. Yes. So you can have conservation impact by some of the things that you do not do as well. That's a really good point.
1: Right. So if you have the barbed wire fence, you know, you and your neighbors, you have some land out there, some some prairies, some grasses, and some forest lines, then yes, we would ask that you would allow some habitat to still remain for mm-hmm. the wildlife. You know, if you're living in a in a subdivision and you're like, what can I do? Think about what you're planting. Make for sure that it's native to where you live.
0: Yeah. And I think now's a good time to address the the farmers. This is for the farmers that don't hunt. They don't care about hunting. They bought their land. It is their living. It is their livelihood. They raise cattle. They raise crops. This is how they make their their life. This is how they've always done it. They want to maximize every inch of their property that they have. And you'll see it from one corner of the country to the next. They mow from one fence to the other northwest east south and everywhere in between they take down every tree in the tree line that they can get Um, they want open pasture open fields uh, for for product and i get that because they're trying to maximize their dollar and it is not a friendly environment for farming in our country so this will have to come from your heart to do this because it will cost you a little bit of money and it will take you a little bit of work. But if you will fence off some of your wooded areas, instead of allowing all your animals to go in there, because when you, when you let cattle into a timber stand, it completely destroys the understory. There is no more understory. They wipe it out. If you fence it off, let them stay out of there. Now you've got some wildlife habitat that continues to go. The other thing is these fence lines don't mow all the way to them. If, if you're out, If you're out brush hogging, if you have a property and you brush hog it, and you reach a fence line, just leave one pass on each side. Leave one pass on each side is all I ask. Now you've got 10, 15, 20 yards of wildlife habitat. You've got places that turkeys can go. You've got places that other prey species can go flourish to take the pressure off of the turkeys. It's good for deer. It's good for quail. It is good for wildlife, and it's bad for predators. And it's a simple task. Are you giving up some land? Yes, but it's really just a little
1: bit of sacrifice really for the greater good of your country. Yeah. Hey, when they're cutting, cutting and brush hogging, you know, is any of that making an impact to the turkey? Um, oh, I
0: really feel is that all brush hogs should be parked, but that's a, that's a whole other podcast, I guess.
1: What would you do instead of brush hog?
0: I would, uh, well, I would burn, and I'd spray invasive species to get them out, and I would uh, burn and plant native species. And then you would cut, Well, you call it? whack and squirt. <laughs> hack and squirt. Hack and squirt. Yeah, hack and squirt is actually taking a hatchet you can go to trees and you just make a hack or two depending on the size of the tree into the side of the tree spray a little herbicide and then you haven't actually laid the tree down but the herbicide will kill that tree. It won't have any leaves It opens up the canopy and, and lets sunlight come down. All the nutrients and water the tree was using is now there for
1: the native species on the ground. So I'd, I want to Maybe recap one point, because I do feel that this happens a lot. You have already shared this, but I feel that a lot of people may feel that it's not their problem, definitely not their fault, and that the government truly needs to do something about it. And I think that's the education that I want to share, is that our government, the people that we have elected to be in these high-level roles to take care of these species... I believe that they are, and I think that's why you're starting to hear more of an awareness. We're wanting to share this awareness that there is a decline in our turkey population and that get onto your state's website. There are resources that can help you and more education to share what you can do in your region, in your state where you live.
0: Yeah, let's talk about a few things that that people really can. Let's leave them with something that they can go do. One, to feel like they are having, but actually have a positive impact. And one is to plant native. I mean, if you're going to a nursery or you're planting things and you're landscaping around your house, plant those native species. It is becoming more popular. There are a lot of resources online of, of native landscaping plants. And I'm here to tell you, you can make it just as, if not more beautiful than if you're buying all these Asian and European plants that we've brought over just to sell in our nurseries that are running rampant, destroying everything, you can make it just as beautiful. You just have to educate yourself. Don't rely, please, please do not rely on the nurseries and gardens to do it for you because I'm here to tell
1: you, a lot of them don't know what's native and what isn't. I think also for the hunter, next season, let's say that your state hasn't made changes. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking the future here. Um, it really... Learn we talk your about area. Missouri in particular. Yeah. yeah, learn your area where you hunt. And if you're not seeing a huge population of turkeys, if you're not seeing a lot of toms, you might take it upon yourself to to either not harvest or only harvest one. That might be right. something that you um can do to take action where you hunt, where you live. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to
0: wait for the government to set the bag limit. You can adjust it yourself, yeah. And Absolutely. you and I had discussed that before the season started. Unfortunately, we're terrible turkey hunters, so we didn't even <laughs> yeah. get the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> but <true. laughs> if we had get, been given the opportunity, we were each only going to harvest one bird. We weren't going to go back for that second and, and fill our tag. I'll be, um, let's be clear. We left them all, though. We're just so right. kind hearted we left them all.
1: Well, we left them all. We could have shot at a few of them. We talked on our last podcast about not shooting them because we we weren't sure if we would get a ethical kill. Right. That might be another way that you help out. Think about that. You know, even while you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. Turkeys cross the road. I've seen three turkeys now dead on the side of the road from being hit by cars. Mm -hmm. It isn't always the driver's fault, but I will say that you can usually see this turkey (laughs) coming across the road uh, well in advance. So be more mindful during these, uh, especially during the spring season.
0: Yeah. And, and lastly, if you've got some property or you know someone who does, start some habitat work. If Maybe if it's an aunt or an uncle or just somebody you know that has some land, say, hey, I would love to help you uh, have more deer on your property. I would love for you to have more turkeys on your property. Um, I listen to this awesome podcast. I know these guys to call that can help us. Reach out to us and we'll teach you what hack and squirt is or something that you can go out and do. And it's actually a really good way to go get exercise, give back to your community, give back to turkeys, spend some time with your family. It's a great way to be outdoors and get some gratification because you're gonna really feel like you did something. So go out, find a place to do some habitat work There are habitat work projects you can do for the government. If you want to go do it on public land, don't just go do it without asking them because you can get in big trouble Mm -hmm, for that. mm -hmm. And remember, there are assistance programs from the government for landowners that can get habitat work done. So do your research and find those as well.
1: You know, predator hunting is fun also. So I do want to give people permission to go hunt them as well. So if you see a coyote... (laughs) take the opportunity to harvest. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, one less coyote is, yeah, you're you're saving. But that's the thing with turkeys. There's just so many. Their their list of nest predators is really long. Right. I don't even want to spend time trying to think of all the species that are nest and egg predators and pulp predators. But uh, habitat work is going to be your first key. Then start focusing on those predators. If this has inspired you and you have questions, it it can be a little overwhelming to get started. If, if you can't tell, I'm pretty passionate about this. I would love, love, love to be a resource, love to help you. Uh, we have the podcast page, the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast Q&A on Facebook. Request to be a member. We would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, we also have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Reach out to us on all of those. m2beoutdoors at gmail.com is our email. Thank you for listening to this episode. Whatever platform you listen on, please hit the automatic download. Get that subscription in there so that you can get every single new episode as it drops. Also, please leave us a review. We haven't had very many new reviews lately. Some reviews would really help us to move up those charts so more people get to hear the podcast. We will be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. We hope that you find time between now and that time to spend time outdoors. And as always, remember that you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandel. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.